Well, that's an awesome moment, isn't it? Seeing a spaceship lift off. But you know, I wonder if we would look back on that now and maybe say, you know, that's space exploration, walking on the moon stuff. That took a lot of money, looked a lot of time. I don't know if it's really worth it. Would we maybe look at Lewis and Clark and their exploration of the West and say, boy, a lot of money, a lot of time. I don't know. Was it worth it? Or how about the light bulb? Didn't he fail like a whole bunch of times before he figured it out? Wonder if that was, wonder if that was worth it. Well, how about cancer research? A lot of money, a lot of effort, a lot of time. I don't know. Where are we getting with that? Is that, is that worth it? You know, folks, I, I, I bring up those questions kind of stating the obvious today. Frontiers are expensive. To get to any real frontier, it costs. But you know what's interesting? Think about this. The moment mankind steps into that frontier, makes that discovery, explores, invents, the moment they touch that frontier, boy, the cost and the effort and the time is gone, isn't it? nobody's ever thinking of, I wonder if it was worth it to be. No, we know it was worth it. And it's worth it because that's what we were designed for. Man, our hearts are created for something bigger than us and, and something beyond us. But folks, it's not just getting to the frontier. Yes, we want to explore the, the moon and the stars, the ocean depths. We want to explore the intricacies of the human body. But folks, it's more than stepping foot into that frontier. It's discovering the God who created that frontier. Amen? It's getting there and understanding a little bit more about how vast and about how great that God is. That's what we were created for. I think that's part of what was meant in, in Ecclesiastes 3 when it says that God has put eternity into our hearts. Man, it's in us to explore. It's, it's in us to go as far as we can to have an eternity to discover the eternal creation and work of God. But you know, it doesn't always feel like that's what we're living for, does it? No, we can kind of get stuck in the, in the reality of mortality. We can get stuck living for that which breaks and fades and dies. That's where a lot of our life is spent. And boy, when that's where we're spending it, it sure doesn't feel like we're on frontiers, does it? And frontiers, that's for, that's for astronauts and scientists. That's for the wealthy and the powerful. We're, I'm not going to the frontier. I'm... Watch that on TV or something. <laughs> no, folks, Jesus didn't say that the frontier, that eternity was for the, the smartest among you or the most powerful among you. He said every one of us, every one of us can touch that. And he gave a, a very simple tool. We looked at that verse last week. You just saw it there. A very simple tool that helps us keep connected to the eternity that we were created for. Money. Very simple reason. Our heart follows our money. And he says, when you're building up treasures for who? Yourselves. Not for somebody else. Not even for God. For you. When you're building up a treasure for you in eternity, then that's where your heart goes. And when your heart begins to move towards that which it was created, man, God's going to bless that. God's going to bless that and honor that. You know, there's a, a promise kind of tucked deep down into the Old Testament. It's one of my favorite promises in the Bible, 1 Samuel 2.30. Very simple, very short. It says, he who honors me, I will honor. Doesn't take a lot of interpretation, does it? I honor God with my life and he'll, he'll honor my life. That word honor in the Hebrew language, kind of interesting word. It means to make heavy to make weighty, to make significant. 
So God is saying, hey, if you'll make me heavy in your life, if you'll make me significant in your life, then I'll make your life something that's weighty, something that's significant, something that's heavy. And we can take that that general promise, we can break it down into the areas of our life. Say, hey, if I make God significant in my relationships, He'll make my relationships significant. You say, well, how do you make God significant in your relationships? Well, that's easy. Make your relationships about Him. Follow his word on how to live in those relationships and express in those relationships. So make him significant in the relationship. He'll make the relationship significant. Make him significant in your decisions. Make him weighty in your decisions. And he'll make your decisions something weighty, something significant. So we can take that, that general principle and just break it down into every area of life. Now God does that for us. He takes that same promise and he breaks it down into a very specific area of our life, our finances. Look at Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 and 10 up here on the screen and see if you don't see that promise. You honor me and I'll honor you. See if you see it in these words. Honor, we obviously see it there, don't you? Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first. That word first is a key word. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first produce of your entire harvest. Then what? Your barns will be completely full. You honor me with your money and I'll honor your money. You make me significant in your money and I'll make your money significant in what it accomplishes. Man, God wants to honor our money so we we honor Him. We engage that promise in our finances. Now we have this promise that he'll bless our finances on this earth. But remember what we learned last week. He's going to bless the finances we send ahead into eternity. So we have the honoring of God, the blessing of God, that he'll, he'll do something great for us here on this earth. He'll do something great for us in eternity. How does anybody not say, I'll sign up for that program. Put my name down for that. Yes, I want God blessing it here and there. Okay, well then how do we engage God in that promise? Very simple, honor Him with our resources. Now, now what does honoring God with our resources look like? You know, money is one of the most talked about subjects in the Scriptures. I mean, it's like in the top two or three, believe it or not, because it has such a profound impact on our lives. And so we could study a lot about what honoring God looks like. I mean, it talks about our attitudes about money, our priorities of money, what to do with it, what not to do. It talks about a lot. But I really think we can boil down to two key things that put us well on the road to honoring. These two things, and I think the other things, start to fall into place. They're two real simple ideas of how we honor the Lord with our money. The first one we just saw in Proverbs chapter 3, and that is give to God first. We honor the Lord when the first thing we do with a paycheck is serve Him with it. Make Him significant in it. And it appears that when God comes second or third or fourth or last, that's not honoring to him. And they think, well, golly, I mean, Lord, you know, get in line. No, that's not what we would say. What is it? But think about how natural it is. Think, well, now I got to take care of the bills, take care of the necessities. I need to do this. I want to be able to do this. I want to be able to provide this. And, And then when we get done taking care of everything we want down here, then we say, okay, God, here comes yours. Maybe even it's a significant amount. But in that case, the amount may not be what's honoring to the Lord. It's the fact that in reality, what we said is, God, pretty much everything on this earth comes before you. 
Pretty much everything I want to do in finances comes before you. You're, you're fourth down the list. You're eighth down the list. You're twelfth. That's not honoring. God very clearly, and not just there, but throughout the scripture says, you want to honor me with your resources, put me first. Let me be the first thing you do with that. Second thing. That's right, only two things today. We're already on number two. Second thing, give, start, give when you give to the Lord, start with the tithe. That word tithe is a Hebrew word. It simply means 10%. And it appears that less than that does not honor. Now, that's a big statement. That'll crawl up under us a little bit, won't it? He says, now, what do we need to do here? Just ignore the pastor? But is it the pastor we're ignoring? Let's be real clear. If it's my word, ignore it. But is that what God says, that less is not honoring? Let's go to his word and see specifically if that's what he says. Would you look with me this morning at Malachi chapter 3? Malachi chapter 3. That's not a book we get to a whole bunch, but it's actually pretty easy to find. If you can find Matthew, just go back one book. Matthew's the first book in the New Testament. Malachi's the last book in the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible with you, we've got some in the chairs in front of you or on the row there. Somebody will hand it to you if it's down the row away. Malachi chapter 3, and look at verse 8. Now remember, what we're talking about here is engaging God in this promise that he's made to us. That if we honor him with our finances, then he'll honor our finances. We're talking about honoring. Okay, look at, look at Proverbs, or Malachi 3, verse 8. It says, will a man rob God, yet you are robbing me. Now would it be fair to say that if God feels robbed, he probably doesn't feel honored? Y'all with me on that? <laughs> Yeah, well, let me just ask you, if you feel like you're being robbed, do you feel like that person robbing you is honoring you, respecting you? That person is stealing from you? No, God's probably not feeling honored at this moment. He says, well, a man robbed God, yet you're robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? What did I do? How did I didn't do that? In your tithes and contributions. Now, notice there's two words there, tithes. That's the 10% and contributions under the law, which we're not under. I'll talk about that in a second. Under the law, both were commanded in your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse. Now, that's not what I want. I don't want the curse. I want the blessing. How do we get the curse? Robbing him. How do we get the blessing? Honoring him. You are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Boy, I wonder if that's not a word for the United States. Verse 10, bring the, and here's why I would say I'm not sure that less is honoring. Because God says to correct this situation in verse 10, he says, bring the full tithe, bring the whole 10%. Now, you know, God could have said here, hey, listen, I know you haven't been doing this. I know you're out of practice. I know your budget's in a mess. Why don't, why don't we start with three, but now you're going to work on it, right? We'll start at three, we'll work up to five, we'll get to seven in a couple of years. We're going to work our... No, he says, here's the thing to do. You want to move from the curse to the blessing? Bring the whole, bring the full 10% into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Some of y'all have heard me say this before. I think that's a significant statement there. Bring it into the storehouse so that there may be food. It's the concept of the daily provisions, the daily running of the church. My wife and I have always interpreted that to say that the tithe goes to the general budget. What's the general budget? It's the daily running of the church. Make sure that's covered. Now, there's a whole lot of other things to do, and that's what the contributions are about. So Karen and I have given 
10% of our income to the general budget. But then there's other things, right? We give to missions. We give to, last what? Last fall, we did the, the special offering for Midlothian. We've got things like that, Lottie Moon. We've got ministries we give to outside of our church. But all of that becomes an offering. All of that becomes a, a contribution above the full, the whole tithe that comes into the storehouse. Now look what he says. We're, we're looking at engaging God in a promise. If we honor him in this way, does he honor our finances? Verse 10, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. There may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. Do you know the Bible actually says that testing God is a sin? There is one place in this entire Bible where God says, test me, and you just read it. Test me. Test me. I want you to put, see if I fail. If I fail, then good. Then you're in the good. Test me on this and see if what? I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until, look at that phrase, there is no more need. What did he say in Proverbs 3? Till your barns are full. Man, I am wanting to bless. I am wanting to provide. Test me in this and see if I'm trustworthy. If you don't find me trustworthy, then you know you're off the hook. But test me and see what I do. So folks, it seems clear that that, that the tithe is the starting point. Did you know that there's not a single illustration in the entire Bible of giving to God less than 10%? Not, not one place where we see less than that. It starts in Genesis 14. I mean, early opening chapters of the Bible. And we see Abraham bring a gift to God. And guess how much it is? A tithe. It's a 10%. We see a couple of more personal illustrations. And then we come into the law. And in the law, the tithe becomes the standard. And then on top of the tithes, there are various offerings that take place throughout the year. Now, we tend to look at the tithe as that, that super sane amount, right? I mean, who does that? Who gives 10%? That's a lot. No, it was the starting point. It was the minimum. A Jew under the law, in reality, would have given 25 to 33% of their income every single year. That's what they gave under the law. Now, we're not under that law. The New Testament, the death of Christ on the cross, frees us from the law. He has accomplished the law for us. We no longer use the law to gain access to God. That's all been taken care of. But some have taken that freedom from the law to say there's a freedom from giving. Folks, it wasn't a freedom from giving. What it did is it brought a, a sense of voluntary. It brought a sense of spontaneity. And so now instead of, okay, I do the tithe on this date and there's this offering on this date and this offering on this date. And if you look in Leviticus and and Deuteronomy, I mean, you see every one of these things is given a date and it really began to carry the feel of almost like paying a tax, paying your bills. And so that's what's been freed from, but it wasn't a freedom to do nothing. It it wasn't a freedom just to toss some change at them every now and then and say, well, I've, I've given No, it it was a freedom to let love guide that and not the law guide that. We come into the New Testament, we actually do see some percentages. Remember last week we looked at the widow. Jesus stopped the worship service and applauded her giving. Remember how much she gave? 100%. Jesus talking with the rich young ruler who's talking with him about what's it look like to follow God in discipleship. And Jesus says, give 100%. Zacchaeus repented of his sin and turned and began following Jesus. And in that repentance, right there on the spot, he gave 25% of everything he had with more to follow. You know, I don't know about y'all, but 10% is not sounding so bad anymore, is it? 
It just seems like that has become throughout the scripture the starting place. Now, I do believe while you do not see the offerings commanded in the New Testament, while you do not see the word tithe in the New Testament, I do believe that Jesus confirms and commands the tithe in the New Testament. Some of y'all have heard me talk about this before. We see Jesus being engaged in conversation by the Pharisees and, and Herodians. The, these are not friends. These are enemies. And they come to Jesus and they ask him a question about taxes. Now, they don't care what his answer is. They just know how sensitive a topic taxes is, right? And they were just anticipating whatever answer he gives, he's going to make somebody mad. And that was their goal. Who, who can we, you know, get together that's mad at Jesus and start, and start dealing with this problem named Jesus? And so they say, hey, Jesus, what about taxes? And Jesus gives an answer, I think that's pretty well known. Render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. Give to the government what belongs to the government. He gives that answer. Now, he's going to give a parallel answer in just a moment. So it's important to understand this first statement. Give to the government what belongs to the government. Who decides what belongs to the government? Yeah, that's normally how it works. Wouldn't it be cool, you know, end of each year, send them a little letter. Hey, you guys are doing awesome. Here's what I think belongs to you this year. (laughs) Enjoy. Spend however you want. That'd be kind of cool, wouldn't it? Hey, praise God, we live in a country where at least we have a little bit of influence, a little bit of impact through voting and other things on those taxes. But folks, the reality is at the end of the day, the government tells you what belongs to them. And legally, you got to respond to that. Okay, now, so Jesus gives that answer, but then he says something they didn't ask anything about. He says, give to the government what belongs to the government. And then he says, give to God what belongs to God. Give to God what belongs to God. In that statement, Jesus is pretty directly saying there is an amount that belongs to him. Do you know what he's doing? That language takes us right back to Malachi 3. If there is something that belongs to you and somebody takes it, somebody holds on to it, somebody uses it, you say they're what? They're stealing. They're stealing from you. They're robbing you. That's yours. There is an amount that belongs to God. Now, how how do you answer the question, what belongs to God? Well, you know, you don't have to answer the question in that context. You see, good biblical interpretation is always done in the context of the speaker, the context of the audience, and the historical context. And in that moment right there, nobody raised their hand and said, well, now, Jesus, I get that. There's an amount that belongs to God, but, but how much is that? Nobody had to raise their hand. They all understood the language of Malachi 3. They knew there is an amount, the tithe belongs to God. There is absolutely, I mean, you, you have to say, okay, Jesus is clearly communicating there is an amount that belongs to God. Folks, there's no other way to discover what that amount is other than understanding the tithe. There's no other way to interpret that passage than to understand the tithe. So that clearly is the beginning point, the starting point, if I'm attempting to engage God in His promise of having His honoring in my finances. I want to honor God in my finances? What do I do? I put God first with the first 10% of every paycheck. And man, when I do that, that promise comes alive and I've got the blessing here on this earth. I've got the, the blessing in eternity. And folks, those are things God offers. There's nothing wrong with wanting that. But you know what? I think there's something more profound there than what gets blessed here on this earth or what gets blessed in eternity. I think the more profound opportunity we have through the discipline of giving is to be able to communicate to God, I love you more than I love money. I trust you more than I trust money. 
Folks, that is a battle that every person in this room, starting with this one up here, every person in this room fights that battle. Now, there's a, there's a broad spectrum of where we are on that battle. Sometimes we advance, sometimes we fall back. But that battle is always, always going on. Why do you think money is one of the most talked about things in Scripture? That battle always rages. Who do I love more? Who do I trust more? How simple it is to think, boy, if I just had a little more. The word God's not usually what follows that statement. If I just had a little more money. Let me ask you a question. Who won the battle today between God and money in your life? A lot of us are getting our taxes prepared, going back over 2012 and pulling receipts and documents and pulling all that together. As you look at 2012, who won the battle? Let me tell you something. If, if money won that battle, it's not God that lost. You have to go home and look in the mirror to see who lost. It's your opportunity. Now I could see somebody thinking about right now, I thought this was about spaceships and frontiers. This sounds a whole lot like a giving message to me. I may be dumb, but I'm not stupid. You're just sneaking up on us there, Pastor. Hey, let me take you back to what I started with, folks. Frontiers, they're expensive. Last week, we watched that inspiring, I think probably one of the more important speeches spoken in humanity. That speech that John F. Kennedy gave challenging America to put a man on the moon. Do you know where he was standing when he gave that speech? He was standing in the U.S. Congress. Do you know why he was there? He was asking for, he's asking for money. He said, this frontier is going to cost, it's going to cost more than we have. You see, what he may or may not have known and what is true in every person's life in Congress and in here and everywhere else. To reach a frontier takes great passion and it takes great energy. You don't get there. The temptation is so strong to quit because it costs. So Jesus says, you're going to reach a frontier, you've got to have your heart in it. You've got to put your heart out on that frontier. And Jesus said, you know, your heart always follows your money. You put your money in that frontier, you send your money out there and your heart will follow. Therefore, the passion and the energy and the excitement will follow. Folks, I pray we are a church that keeps the great frontier out in front of us. The frontier first and foremost and fullest of discovering God. Discovering His vastness and greatness in this earth and, and in eternity and being in awe of Him. And then the great frontier of serving that God in this world and discovering what He does in and through us and how awesome that can be. But we've got to get our heart there, right? We're not talking about buying our way to God. We're not talking about buying our way into eternity. The cross paid for that. It's just a simple function. Our money, our heart's going to go where our money is. Right now, folks, we are looking at next frontiers. Next Sunday, not a message on giving per se. It is a message. We're going to be looking at where Colonial Heights Baptist is going next. What we're going to be doing next. Some of the new frontiers, new places for us, new, new ways for us. It's going to be an exciting Sunday. I think it would be kind of a historic Sunday for our church. 
In that, we're going to commission our, our Midlothian team because we have, we have a group of people leaving after next week. We have a group of people that are heading out there to Midlothian to, to start that new campus of the Heights Baptist Church that we're going to be doing. But you know what? All that frontier takes money. And we've got a budget for that. You know, a budget is about more than, okay, you can spend this much in this category and this much in this. Man, a budget is about who you are. It's about where you're going. A budget is about vision and what you're about. So on your way out today, we want to we give you our budget. It's our 2013-14 budget. The reason it's 13-14, we run a fiscal year, April to March. So it'll start April and go through next March of 2014. In this budget, you'll see where we're going and what we're doing, what's happened. It's interesting. It's called the next frontier kind of don't don't be shocked by this when something's called the next frontier this budget is actually a one percent decrease over last year's budget i think that's the first time in at least 10 years that our budgets had a decrease but we are decreasing it by one percent but make no mistake it stretches out to the next frontier and gives us great opportunity you may be wondering now how are we adding a whole new campus and decreasing the budget at the same time. Y'all working some kind of coconut shell game, magic? How do you do that? That's a good question. Get the budget. It'll kind of explain some of that. But uh, on your way out, you'll get this, folks. It's a picture of who we are, where we're going, what we're seeking to be as we strive after God. Amen? Let's pray.